We live in a world that uh, values production as our highest good. Uh, what we produce, what we bring to the table uh, is the highest good. Uh, we see this in our work, in our jobs. Uh, we see it even in our relationships. We can even see it in making sure that we have produced the perfect Christmas gift for everybody on our Christmas list so that we can somehow win at gifting um, and win at life by our production. But when we gather for worship, when we come to worship, we are actually confronting this idea of being defined by what we produce with a deeper reality and truth that we are not defined by what we produce, but we are defined by Jesus who loved us and who gave himself for us that we would have life in him. And so let's hear God's word this morning uh, from Psalm 25 as he calls us to worship. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. All of the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness toward those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. If you have a copy of the scriptures with you this morning, if you would turn with me to Ruth chapter 4. Um, it's also uh, printed uh, in your bulletin uh, for you as well, too. And it's towards the beginning of the Old Testament. Um, Bill, I think there's a hum going on back here behind me. I'm not sure what it's coming from. I don't think it's coming from this. Um, but anyways, as, you, as you're turning there, we've been, during this Advent season, we've been going through the book of Ruth uh, together, and we've been thinking about this idea of God's redeeming love, God's redeeming love towards us, and what that looks like, and how that takes shape through this story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to conclude this fascinating story of redemption. And so I'm going to read for us the first six verses of chapter 4, and then we'll actually skip down to verse 13 and read verses uh, 13 through 17 uh, as well too. But as we come to this this morning, this is God's word for us. Uh, the one who spoke everything into existence wants to speak to you and I personally in the person and work of his son Jesus and through his word that we get to read together. So hear this, take this in. This is God's love letter to you and to me. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, 
in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And skip down to verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Uh, let's pray together and ask God to help us understand his word together this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you because we need understanding. And we pray that you would work in our hearts in such a way that we would see your redeeming love through the story of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. A story that as we read it, we see littered over every page, every page your sovereign grace to orchestrate redeeming love. Would you help us to see that this whole book points us to Jesus, your one and only Son, in whom we have redemption. And Holy Spirit, would you make Jesus more believable and more beautiful to us this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, if you've ever gone through the process of buying a home or purchasing property, you know how in our current uh, culture, how nerve-wracking that is and how that process kind of works, right? Like you go, you take a look at a house, you take a look at a piece of property, you make an offer on that property, and generally speaking, the owner of that property comes back to you and says, we don't like your offer, we're going to counter-offer, and sometimes you even go back and forth, you have this conversation between real estate agents. But then ultimately an agreement happens and, and, uh, and you have to get together on this one singular day with real estate agents and a lawyer and sit down and sign papers to transfer that property known as, as closing day, right? And if you've ever been through that, you know how nerve-wracking that is too, right? Like, because sometimes closing day doesn't exactly go the way that you think that it's going to go, and sometimes it doesn't even go at all, Right? And then you have to move back the closing day. you got to figure all kinds of other things out and, and everything. And what we get to see at the end of the book of Ruth is we actually get to peer in on the process of redeeming and buying property in ancient Israel. And what that looked like for them in that time and for those people. And so what I want us to think about together this morning is two things. One is the process of redemption. And two is the effect of redemption. So if you're a note taker and you like outlines, process of redemption, effect of redemption. So let's start with the process of redemption. In verse 1, what we see is that Boaz comes up to the gate at the front of the village and he sits down there. This, uh, this is where at the gate, at the front of the village, is where legal matters would take place. Like legal proceedings would happen there. And he, he goes there and he sits there to wait on this guy who's a kinsman redeemer to Naomi. 
And God's word tells us, behold, the Redeemer shows up. The Redeemer who, whom Boaz had spoken of, he shows up. And, and again, we get to see these little literary devices in this story with the language of behold there. It's letting us know like God is actually the one who's orchestrating all of this. It's not as though the kinsman redeemer just happens to show up at the gate. No, behold, God is orchestrating this. The kinsman redeemer, he comes to the gate. He shows up. And then in verses 2 through 4, what Boaz does is he calls the elders of the village together to come and to be witness to this legal proceeding that is happening here. And then he explains to the kinsman redeemer, he says, look, a widow of a close relative of ours, a man by the name of Elimelech, his widow, Naomi, she's back in town. She'd gone to Moab, you remember? She and, she and Elimelech went to Moab. She's back in town, and she actually needs to sell Elimelech's property, his land. Now, we know from reading the rest of the story that part of the reason that Naomi needs to sell this land is because she is in a desperate spot. She is in a position to not be able to provide for herself at all. And so she's in a desperate spot. She's in great need for provision. And the kinsman redeemer, her closest of kin, actually has the first right of refusal to buy this property. And we'll learn a little bit more about that in just a few minutes when we look at Leviticus 25. But Boaz is also honest about his own intentions here. He tells the kinsman redeemer, look, you've got first right of refusal, and I want to know if you, if you want to redeem the land uh, or not. And he's implying, like, if you're not going to redeem it, like, I'm next in line, and there's nobody behind me, and I'm going to redeem it. So the kinsman redeemer responds. He says, look, I will redeem it. I will redeem this land from, uh, from Naomi. Uh, at first, on the surface, this looks like a really good deal for the kinsman redeemer because Naomi is an old widow, and there is no hope of her ever having any more children. And so when she sells the land to this kinsman redeemer, this land will actually become a part of his family and a part of his inheritance. And he's looking at it, and he's thinking, look, this is a good opportunity for me here to acquire this. It will be in my name. But then Boaz goes on to explain a little bit more complication to the story. Verses 5 and 6, he goes on to explain, he says, look, Naomi, she brought back with her her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabite. You remember her? And so in acquiring this land... You will actually have to marry Ruth and take Ruth on. So that, verse 5 tells us, so that the name of Elimelech, the dead, uh, will be perpetuated. Will continue on in this land. Then, the kinsman redeemer changes his tune, doesn't he? In verse 6, he says, look, I can't redeem it. I'm not going to redeem it. It won't be of any benefit to me. It will actually potentially cause my own inheritance to go into peril. So I don't want it. I don't want to redeem it. It's of no benefit to me. You can have it. You can have it, Boaz. You can have the right to redemption. Now, as we read through this process, 
of acquiring and redeeming property, it might seem kind of odd on the surface what's going on here because of how we currently procure property. You see, because any of us can buy property from anybody. And we can sell our property to anybody who's willing to buy it, right? But that's not the case in ancient Israel. And Dave tapped into some of this last week when he talked about the layers of the meaning of the word redeem. That redeem could be applied to the purchasing of land. Redeem could also be applied to the avenging of murder, to, to, to make a just act. It could also be applied to paying off debt. And it could also be applied to marrying and providing for, some, for someone. Redeem carries with it a depth of meaning. And in order for us to understand what is going on here in the redemption of this property, we have to take a look back at one of your favorite books in the Bible, Leviticus. I know you're all looking forward to a year in Leviticus in 2020, um, but that's where we have to go to really understand the depth of what's going on here. Leviticus chapter 25, to understand the redemption of property. So I'm going to give us a little bit of an overview of Leviticus 25. Leviticus 25 gives us a vision for how God thinks about land and his people's relationship to land and to one another as well too. In Leviticus 25, you will find God's instructions on Sabbath for the land, on rest for the land, that he instructs his people that every seventh year, you are supposed to let the land rest. Here's what that means. You don't plant anything on the land. You don't harvest anything on the land. And you too actually take a year off from doing that work. And part of the point of this is for God to communicate to his people that he is the one who sovereignly provides for them. To work trust in God and his care and his provision for them. Another thing that we see in Leviticus chapter 25 is this idea of jubilee. Maybe you've heard of that before. If you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard the term jubilee. The idea of jubilee is this, is that every 50 years, property in Israel would be returned to the original family that owned the property. Now, the only reason that a family would get rid of property in the first place is because they were in desperate need of provision. They, they, they would sell it because they really, really needed to be provided for. We also, following that, get God's instructions on the redemption of property. If a family had to sell land, this is the process through which that property could be redeemed. And that is exactly what we see happening in verses 1 through 6 of Ruth chapter 4. It follows Leviticus 25. Someone needs to sell property because they are poor. Naomi, okay? The closest of kin, if you look back to Leviticus 25, has the first right to purchase that property. If they refuse it, it goes to the next of kin and on and on and on until someone purchases it. But what we see in Leviticus 25 is that the purchase of property is never intended to be a permanent thing. 
when the original owner of that property can buy it back, then it goes back to them. And God's purpose in all of this in Leviticus 25 is to actually highlight his gracious provision toward his people. He is instructing his people to entrust their land and their livelihood to him and to his care to trust him and to even create a society that does not value wealth and material possession more than submitting to God's word, more than submitting to God's law, to create the kind of society that cares more for others than it does for self, to create a kind of society that cares about those who are in need more than our own plans and our own agendas. Now let's think for just a second about the kinsman redeemer that we are introduced here, that Boaz is looking for. You see, the kinsman redeemer here, he rejects redeeming the land. Why? God's word tells us because he's concerned for himself. He's concerned for his own inheritance. If he redeems this land, his name will never be attached to it because he will have to marry Ruth and that ensures that his name will not be put on the land. And we have to know a little bit of something about what it means for your name to be attached to something in ancient Israel. If you remember several weeks ago, we ended going through the Gospel of John together and we talked about having life in the name of Jesus. And we talked a little bit about the importance of a name and how names carry weight with them. When ancient Israel, for your name to be attached to something, that meant your reputation was attached to it. Your legacy, your stature, your heritage is attached to this. This kinsman redeemer is concerned about his name, his plans, his agenda, his own inheritance, which is the opposite of how God wanted his people to think about caring for the poor and the needy and the desperate. But you know what? If I'm honest with myself, I identify with the kinsman redeemer a good bit. Because more often than not, I'm more concerned about my name being attached to my accomplishments, about attention being paid toward me. Often I'm concerned that people think well of me and what I am doing and what I am producing, just like we talked about at the beginning of the service. I identify with the kinsman redeemer. Often I act in my own interests and not in the interest of those around me who are in need. And I think that if we all slow down, we can probably all find places in our own lives where we are like that. We want the credit. We want our name to be attached to the accomplishment. Our reputation is most important. Our legacy is most important. Let's turn and think a little bit about Boaz here, though. Do we see what Boaz is doing do we see what Boaz is doing when he says, I, I want the land. I will redeem the land. 
What Boaz is doing is saying, I will marry Ruth the Moabite. What Boaz is doing is saying, I will buy and I will redeem the land. And that Naomi will actually be in debt to Boaz, but Boaz is saying, she'll never be in debt to me. She'll never be in debt to me. Her name will always be attached to it because I'm going to marry Ruth. I'm going to marry her. And I'm going to forgive Naomi's debt that she would even owe me. And in marrying Ruth, that means that his name will never be attached to the land. Boaz could care less about his name. Boaz could care less about his legacy. He could care less about his own inheritance. All of this, Boaz doing all of this comes at a personal loss to him. The process of redemption, what it does is it manifests extravagant grace, beloved. You see, because Boaz isn't doing this so that we would make much of him. Rather, Boaz is doing this because he himself has experienced the extravagant grace of God toward him in his own life, to work into his own heart, to want to follow Leviticus 25 and make sure that Ruth and Naomi are cared for. Make sure that this land stays in their family. And his name will never be attached to it and it doesn't even matter to him because he has experienced and known the extravagant grace of God and he wants to give that extravagant grace away. Have you ever experienced extravagant grace before? I know I have. Uh, a number of years ago when Carrie and I were still living in St. Louis and I was in, uh, in seminary, um, we, were, we, were, we were desperate. We were poor. Like we were below the poverty line. Poor. There were definitely moments where we, where we wondered where food might come from. For sure. And one Christmas, we traveled back to South Carolina to visit with my family. Um, and the night before we were supposed to leave and come back to St. Louis, my, my grandmother went into the hospital. My nanny went into the hospital. And we drove back to St. Louis the next day. And then we woke up the next morning, which was a Sunday morning. And we traveled to church because uh, I was leading worship there. And I got a phone call from my dad. And, uh, and, and my nanny had died in the night. And, and we shared this with our church family. And before we could even get out the door, they had purchased plane tickets for us. Because they knew we didn't have any money. They knew we were in a desperate spot. And they wanted us to be able to be with my family. Extravagant grace. Not because they wanted their name attached to it. No, but because they too had experienced the extravagant grace of God toward them and they were responding in the same way. How? Jesus. Jesus. You see, because some of us here maybe know what it is like to be desperate and to not know where your next meal is going to come from. But what's true of every single one of us, God's word tells us is that we are all spiritually bankrupt. We are all spiritually in debt and desperate and need someone to provide for us. 
need someone to buy up our debt and provide redemption for us. And that is exactly what Jesus does for us, beloved. He goes right to the cross to purchase redemption for us, to provide new life for us, just in the same way that we see what Boaz is doing here for Ruth and for Naomi. Well, that's the process of redemption. The rest of chapter 4 shows us the effect of redemption. And so I want us to spend a little bit of time thinking about the effect of redemption. And I've got three things for us to take a look at here. And this is mostly following verses 13 through 17 here. The first effect of redemption is this, marriage. Boaz binds himself to Ruth. He marries Ruth. He gives himself to Ruth in the most intimate of possible relationships. He gives himself to Ruth wholeheartedly, physically, emotionally, mentally, even practically he gives himself because Boaz's wealth in redeeming this property and redeeming Ruth and redeeming Naomi means that his wealth immediately becomes Ruth's and Naomi's wealth. Everything that belongs to him belongs now to Ruth and to Naomi and their name is going to be attached to it. The debt that Naomi would have owed to Boaz for him redeeming the land, paid. Totally paid. Boaz is never going to go to Naomi and and nag her and say, you remember when I did that? You owe me? No. The debt is paid and new life is given. The first effect of redemption is marriage. The second effect of redemption that we see in our passage here is family. Ruth and Naomi are brought into Boaz's home. They are brought into Boaz's family. And and Boaz builds a family with Ruth. And I love, I love how we see it in here that she became his wife and the Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. You see, this book is absolutely riddled with God's sovereign orchestrating provision here. That God is the one who is working this out. That God is the one who has brought Ruth and Naomi into a family, in Boaz's family. And in verse 14, we see that the effect of that is that Naomi's life is restored and that she will absolutely be cared for her entire life. She will never have to worry again about where her next meal is going to come from. She has been brought into the family. Ruth has been brought into the family. The third thing that I want us to see, the third effect of redemption is this. Friendship. As I was reading and preparing and studying this week, there, there were a number of pastors that had written on this idea of friendship. And all of that was just so compelling to me that I was like, I can't, I, I can't do any better than that. So everything that you're about to hear is not original from this guy. It's from uh, pastors and theologians much older and wiser uh, than me. But friendship is an effect of redemption. In verse 15... The women of the neighborhood, they go to Naomi and they say to Naomi, Naomi, Ruth means more to you than seven sons. Do we realize how big of a statement that is? 
Because here's what's true. If Naomi had seven sons, she wouldn't be in the position that she's in right now. And the women of the neighborhood go to her and say, Ruth means more to you than seven sons. That friendship means more than any amount of sons that you could have. You are better with Ruth as your best friend than you would be with all of the lineage that you could have, Naomi. And we've seen this friendship throughout the book of Ruth from the very beginning when Ruth comes to Naomi as Naomi is heading back to Israel and she says, I'm going to go where you go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And nothing will part us until death. Ruth is wholeheartedly committed to Naomi. She is present. She is a friend for the long haul. An effect of redemption is friendship. This kind of friendship this committed, present, for the long haul kind of friendship. Are we those kinds of friends? Am I that kind of friend of people? Are you that kind of friend of people? Have you invested your life, have I invested my life in such a way in people's lives that it actually changes them? That God actually uses your life to change other people's lives and other people's lives to change your life. Do you have those kinds of friendships? I know that I, I have some friends and people in my life that are like this to me. That are like Ruth is for Naomi. I've had people in my life that God has absolutely used to change me. To change me. To make me less judgmental, um, and more gracious to make me less prideful and more humble, to make me less angry and more loving, to make me care less about my own name and more about the needs of others, to make me less defensive and more willing to receive the truth in love. And, and I, don't say that to, I don't say that to point the finger at, at me because if you ask anybody who knows me, they will tell you, yep, he struggles with that. He struggles with being judgmental. He struggles with, with being defensive and wanting to make sure that, that, that his name isn't tarnished. Anybody who knows me will tell you that. It's not, it's not about that. It's, it's about what God does in his extravagant grace towards us in Jesus, in bringing us into a community with one another, in friendships with one another, where we can actually share our lives with one another. We can share our struggles and be met with grace and truth and love. And we can invite others in on our struggles with one another. We need these kinds of friends, beloved. We need these kind of people in our lives who will help us see and reflect on the deep-rooted brokenness and sinfulness that we have and the deep-rooted provision and extravagant grace of God to us in Jesus. We need people in our lives to call us out when we need to be called out. 
We need people in our lives to call us out and to point us to Jesus again and again and again. Beloved, you will hear us say it all the time. We never get past the gospel. We always need Jesus. We always need Jesus, and we need people in our lives to point us to that reality so that we can see our sin and the beauty of our Redeemer that we have in Jesus. And speaking of Jesus... This whole story points us to Jesus. And one of the ways that we know that is that this story ends with a genealogy. So that we would see that it absolutely points us to Jesus. Because the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz ends with Ruth and Boaz were the father of Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. That exact same genealogical sequence is seen in Matthew chapter 1. In Jesus' genealogy. So that we would connect this story. This story of God's redeeming love with Jesus and what God is doing in Jesus. And so that we would connect our own lives with Christ. Think about it for just a second. The marriage of Boaz and Ruth shows us how Jesus binds himself to us. Shows us how Jesus calls us his bride. How Jesus pays the debt for our sin by going to the cross and how he gives us new life in his resurrection. All of Jesus' wealth is ours because he has united himself to us. Everything that is his belongs to us as well, his bride, his church, family. The New Testament is absolutely riddled with the truth that in Jesus' death and in his resurrection, that we are brought into God's family, that we are actually made co-heirs with Jesus to everything in God's kingdom, that we are actually sons and daughters of the one who spoke heaven and earth into existence. And if you're here and you're a parent, just slow down and think for just a second about how much you love your kids and how much you would never stop loving your kids. And that is exactly how your heavenly father feels about you. That is exactly how our heavenly father feels about us. We are his sons and daughters. He delights in us and his smile is upon us because of Jesus. Friendship Jesus is the best friend that we will ever have. He is more committed to us than we ever will be to him. He is good enough to us to show us our sin and our need for him. His commitment actually led him to the cross to become our sin and give us his righteousness in exchange for our sin, to lay down his life for his friends. Us. He calls us friend. And his presence is always with us through his spirit. And the Holy Spirit shows us our pride. Shows us our judgmental hearts. Shows us where we want to make sure that our name is famous. Shows us our anger and our defensiveness shows us our sin. And beloved, 
more often than not, the way that the Holy Spirit does this is by giving us the kinds of friends who love us enough to be honest with us about these things so that we collectively would see our sin and see our need for Jesus. The Holy Spirit is committed to us, is committed to give us the kinds of friends, people, brothers and sisters in Christ, to show us how much better a life lived in grace really and truly is. God's extravagant grace in Jesus. Redeeming love, beloved. Redeeming love means that we are Christ's bride. That we are God's children, his sons and his daughters, and that we are friends with our Redeemer, Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word we see your continual pursuit of us and your extravagant grace to redeem us in your love. To give us Jesus out of your love and Jesus for you to lay down your life for your friends so that, so that we would be redeemed. To pay off all of the debt of our sin purchase us back and to give us your righteousness through your blood. Holy Spirit, would you make us more and more like Jesus? And we pray these things in his name. Amen. But God wants us to leave here knowing that we have his blessing, that we are his sons and his daughters, and that he delights in us, and it is blood bought in Jesus. The Lord will bless you and he will keep you. This week, God's smile is upon you. He delights in you. You are his son. You are his daughter. And he will be gracious to you. And in this year to come and forever and ever and ever, God's presence is with us and he will make us whole. He will give us peace through his extravagant grace. Go in the peace of Christ, beloved.